Welcome to episode, oh shit, it's, uh, welcome to, look, it's rock and roll, first episode, and, uh, as you can tell from the faces, you've seen them all before, and, uh, what we're gonna be doing is, obviously this is gonna be an offshoot of the Kiss Have a You podcast, there are so many other bands that we all love, there are so many other albums that are an important part of our soundtrack, there are so many of these that connect with Kiss, and some that perhaps won't at all, you know, it's our chance to kind of break out and talk about different bands, different stuff with the same faces, maybe a few new faces. Um, so today we're getting started on the first episode of uh, this new podcast, which we're going to call Look, It's Rock and Roll in honor of the one, the only, the mighty uh, Tommy Thayer. No, Ace Frehley. <laughs> and uh, you... You'll recognize everyone because you're probably wondering why the hell are they doing this? Where's my episode of the Kiss FAQ podcast? Well, we'll be back next week or in a few weeks. Who knows? Uh, we're not going away. So, Daniel, Wheeze on the message board. I don't think we need to do message board names anymore. Daniel, who was obviously a member on the very first episode of the Kiss FAQ podcast five years ago. Yeah. Welcome back and welcome to the show. Mark? Yes. Hello. And Lonnie. What's up? So, that's what the show is going to be. Where are you going to find us? Same place you find everything. Spotify might be an issue for anyone who's uh, looking for their favorite podcast this week on Spotify and isn't able to find them. Visit their home pages or their Facebook pages, which I'm sure you have liked in order to keep up with their latest episodes. But uh, a lot of shows are disappearing off Spotify. We could uh, pontificate about what those reasons may be, but the end result is they're able to be listened to elsewhere. Elsewhere. And, uh, you know, a lot of those podcasts are our friends and shows that we listen to. So, again, make sure you've liked their Facebook pages and uh, places where you can get communications from them. Same for us, you know, uh, Kiss FAQ podcast. And we'll get a page up for this one probably as well. Today's topic is going to be Kiss related since today's the anniversary of the first ever Kiss show back in 1973. We've taken the opportunity to break out of the KISS discussion, but we're going to talk about our favorite albums from our top five KISS opening acts in the period 1974 to 79. So the first five years, the classic era of the band, bands that opened for them and the albums that preceded the point where they opened for KISS. Um, but before we get going with that topic, I, I do want to ask each one of you what some of your favorite opening acts that you actually saw open for Kiss are. You know, we'll do those in a later episode, but just so that people get a feel for where you came into the band and first saw them. Lonnie, let's start with you. Favorite bands I've seen open for Kiss? That's a great question. So the first time I saw Kiss, Alice in Chains opened for them. On July 2nd, 1996 in St. Louis. This is the second to last show Alice in Chains ever did with Lane Staley. Last show they ever did with Lane was the next night in Kansas City. Um, so that was, was pretty great, you know, and, and the drummer even came out from behind the drum kit and started to sing like the first 
line or two above the crowd started booing like what are you doing so it's kind of it was kind of funny um <laughs> so and that that that's very that's very memorable you know 1996 Alice in Chains second to last show they ever played um I saw a band my if, my brother would kill me if I didn't say this we saw a band open for Kiss in Sault Ste Marie in 2007 called Clown Sack and they were awesome clown sack clown sack and nice. then it was great and, and the guy was dressed up not like a clown but he had like clown like not, not, yeah obviously clown type makeup on and they had these girls in bikinis and like black wigs dancing on both sides of the stage they were fun to watch this i know i only remember one song they played it was a, it was a song called rumple stillskin it's the only song name I ever remember them playing. But they were fun as hell. And anyone who was at that Sault Ste. Marie on that hit and run tour in 2007, remember, they were, I mean, they it was great. They were, they were fun. The music was okay, but they were just fun. You know what I mean? And, and what is Kiss? I mean, we love Kiss's music, but at the end yeah. of the day, Kiss is fun. Kiss is a fun band too. So they were like exactly. the perfect band to open up for them. Um, nice. That's those are my two favorites, I guess. Yeah, just leave, just leave it at two because I'm sure we'll do an episode about this sure. later on. Uh, Daniel, how about you? I'm I'm gonna I know what one's gonna be. At least I think I do. So uh, prove me wrong. What are some of your favorite acts that you've seen open for Kiss actually in concert? Well, one of them is a Swedish band. I don't think you've ever heard of them. It's called Mustache. Mustache is a real cool group. Kind of. A, Similar of early Sabbath mixed with some modern sounds. They were really good. And another one was a Swedish band that I think you might know of. Uh, they had a huge hit back in the 80s, in 86, with the final countdown. Europe. Oh, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, they work very well in Sweden when they open up. You know, everybody knows the songs and uh, it was real fun and they managed to get the the crowd going so those off the top of my head are my two most rememberable opening acts most of the time you don't even remember the opening act to be to be quite honest because you 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 you're doing a lot of other stuff you know like drinking beer yeah and stuff talking to fans but uh, those two stands out they stand out yeah, how could you not get going in a concert with like the final countdown or Wings of yeah. Tomorrow or Cherokee yeah. or oh god, there's yeah. so much good stuff from Europe and their catalog. I actually thought you were going to say helicopters. So mm-hmm. I was uh, wrong. I yeah. <laughs> so uh, Mark, how about how about you? As usual, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I saw Kiss a few times. Um, honestly, there's only two opening acts that I honestly remember because the other times I came in either kind of late and was getting to my seat when they were just ending or, uh, the other, the only other act I remember seeing, uh, was, you know, Motley Crue, but they weren't, they weren't really an opener. They were just like another band that was on the bill, but I can't remember who opened before the, like who were on before them. I just, it's slipping my mind, but the two bands I do remember when I saw them, when they played in Toronto, a degeneration opened. I didn't really care too much for them. They were sort of, you know, run of the mill sort of Ramones wannabe sort of band. But the other band that I saw uh, was when they came on the, uh, you know, the the 
what's that tour called when they did the, the smaller cities, the, the alternate cities tour there uh, that they did the second time in 97, I think it was. Lost uh, they Cities came, tour. Yeah. Lost Cities, that's it. Yeah, they came into Hamilton. And uh, when they came to Hamilton, they had a band there open called Glue Leg. And uh, they they actually were pretty good. They were actually a band from around my area. They were from a city called Guelph. And uh, they were very... Um, if you remember the band I Mother Earth, they were very much like of that type, very alternative, but they also incorporated, you know, like Congos and sort of other weird things sometimes in it. Uh, but the, the glue leg was, wasn't too bad. I actually didn't mind them. I actually remember watching, you know, a bit of them through there. But those are the two bands that kind of stick out from that I remember when I saw Kiss. I mean, obviously, the, the bands we're going to be talking about, I would have much rather seen uh, open for for a kiss i'd rather have gone on these tours that we're going to talk about than the ones that i went on yeah and that's why this is kind of a useful setup for our conversation is that these are the bands that we got to see since we all kind of uh became kiss fans later than the original generation i mean me the first band the, the first show i i saw kiss uh smashing pumpkins uh, opened. yeah mm-hmm. I did not enjoy that. Um, <laughs> later on, obviously, I'm not going to count kind of any of the co-headlining ones. There's a really bad opening act for uh, the Aerosmith tour. But um, I'm going to have to go with The Treatment, who were just really fun rock and roll band, hungry. Mm. And I also really dug Saliva. And they opened up on the Aerosmith tour, obviously. Mm-hmm. There was also another band on the side stage. But, uh, you know to pick any of kind of the ones out of the tours I've seen, Buck Cherry probably stands out as well. They were really fun. Any sleazy, dirty, you know, rock and roll band that's not pompous and pretentious, that'll do it for me. So, you know, Motley, Motley Crue doesn't count, unfortunately. But there we go. All right, so let's get into today's topic. And, you know, these bands that opened for Kiss in the 1970s, that really was kind of the classic era of rock. So each one of us has picked our top five um, opening acts and our favorite album. That's the important part, our favorite album from these opening acts. And the only criteria was that that album had to be released at the time that the band was touring for Kiss or before. So it makes it kind of difficult when you think of a lot of the names that did open for Kiss in that period, um, because a lot of their best albums didn't come until well afterwards. So, Lonnie, why don't we start with your first pick and see where we if it's downhill or uphill from here? I went with Montrose. Montrose. And I think this was on several um, of your guys' lists as well. So feel free to chime in. Um, as we talk about it, um, as most of you guys know, I live in St. Louis and Sammy Hagar, for whatever reason, is huge in St. Louis. Whenever he comes to the outdoor amphitheater, he comes most every year to our outdoor shed and he sells it out every year. Sammy Hagar is huge in St. Louis. He loves St. Louis. If you Google Sammy Hagar, St. Louis, you'll find all kinds of stuff about how much he loves this city. Um, so the rock station in town, KC 95 always plays a lot of Sammy, a lot of Van Hagar stuff and a lot of mantra stuff. So going and seeing I mean, and I've seen him, you know, a handful of times when he's come here, cause it's always like a big event when he comes here. So, um, I love this album because it's like the kind of music I grew up on because they've, like they said, the radio stations always plays the hell out of Sammy, no matter what 
incarnation of Sammy. So um, the, the, the album itself to me is just, is there's not much filler on it at all. I, I love Rock the Nation, Bad Motor Scooter. I mean, you, you, you can just run down and just name all the songs. I, I think it's just, I think it's classic rock at its finest. And I wish it would have, I wish the band Montrose would have sustained a longer period because it would have been fun to see what could have been if they could have sustained it. Because it is, for a debut record, it's it's way up there on my list as far as just my favorite records in general. So Now, do you remember um, when Montrose opened for Kiss? No, this was like 1978 or 79. It, it was after Sammy had left. I know that because obviously oh. Sammy opened for them in uh I know Sammy, yeah, right. It was after Sammy had left, so but it still counts because yeah. it had it had so, been before because yeah. totally your criteria counts. was before, not after. Yeah, and, and you, it's, can't take, it's, you can't take away from how great that album is. It's one of the most perfect uh, like <clears throat> debut albums of all time, yeah. in my opinion. Produced by Ted Templeman, who obviously would make his name more so with Van Halen, who obviously Sammy then plays a a part in. Actually, there's a new autobiography or a autobiography coming out on Ted Templeman. Uh, written with uh, Greg Renoff, who did Van Halen Rising, so that's going to be coming out very soon. Who else had uh, Montrose on their list? I, I had it on my list. I, I, I was, first out, I was it, first out picking it. I didn't know it was such a popular album. I, I thought it was kind of a obscure album, but obviously it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it wasn't. Uh, uh, I remember I discovered this album quite late. It was uh, actually listening to Eddie Trunk. He kept pushing this album. He always talk, talks about uh, Montrose and how good they were. And uh, after that, I read Sammy Hager's biography. I think it's called Red Rocker or something. Yeah. It's a great biography, real fun to read. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started to listen to this album. I have to agree with uh, Lon. It's an awesome record. I mean, I would say no filler at all. Um, from Rock the Nation, perfect opener with a catchy riff, uh, and also Bad Mooder Scooter that uh, later Motley Crue kind of mm-hmm. covered. You know, that intro that's familiar <laughs> from uh, Kickstart My Heart. Uh, I guess he got the idea from there. Uh, it's actually the new band, Greta Van Fleet. I, I thought of them when I heard the, the Bad Mooder Scooter. It seems like they have listen to Montrose as well. Uh, and another f- good song from this album is Rock Candy. It makes me think of uh, mm-hmm. something like yeah, Larger Than Life from Kiss or actually uh, that cover band, Classic 78, kind of a lot of their songs remind me of this Rock Candy, you know, kind of slow with uh, a riff that goes on through the, the, the song. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a fun line in the final song as well make it last i think the the last song is called and in that that one he says whether i'm 12 or whether i'm 64 i spend my time like there ain't gonna be no more and sammy is the the one that is probably still hitting the 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 bottle the hardest you know, he had his own tequila company and all of that. And, but he seems to be able to drink without getting in trouble. And uh, it's always fun to read and see uh, stuff from that annual birthday bash he has in, what's it Cabo called? Wabo. Cabo Wabo. Yeah, exactly. Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. Cabo San Lucas. I would like to be there. It seems like a whole lot of fun. And uh, mm. so this is um, 
one of my absolute favorite albums from the early 70s. I, I, usually I have a hard time listening to, to those albums because uh, I think, for example, drums, they don't sound like I want, I want them to sound kind of weak, you know. Mm. Uh, growing up in, in listening to 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 things like um, the Black Album and, and stuff like that, uh, there's <laughs> yeah. just no comparison, you know. But yeah. this is a good album, and mostly because it's a rock album, they get away with it. I think Judas Priest's early albums, uh, I like to, to listen to live versions from, from, from later eras, but just because they sound a bit weak. But we'll talk more about Judas Priest in a moment, I guess. Yeah, no, the drums can be a bit thin sometimes. Mm. Mark, um, I think you also had this on your list. So oh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on this album? Well, I got into Montrose kind of late compared to some bands, but um, Montrose for me started because of Sammy, because I got into the old Van Hager side of things. I really thought that Sammy Hager was a great singer for Van Halen, so I was into him. And then uh, as I started reading you know, more about his background and his solo stuff, and then it kind of all led back to this band called Montrose. And I had remembered hearing about Montrose because of Iron Maiden, who did I've Got the Fire as a B-side on one of their singles. And I was like, Montrose, that, that's a Montrose song. So I started to, you know, go closer and closer to Montrose and find, finding out more about it. And then I went to the record store one day and I found the, the album there, right? And uh, when I brought it home, it totally blew me away. Like, it was incredible. I was like, this is like one of the best, you know, debut records I've ever heard. You know, I mean, I would put it up there almost as high as like Boston's debut. You know, it's that good, in my opinion. There's so many good songs on this record. It's unbelievable. And I mean, Ronnie Montrose is one of a really underrated guitar player. He's really, really good. And I mean, I, I fell in love with this record so much. I bought the deluxe CD version when it came out. And uh, that has a second disc of them performing a lot of songs like on a radio station performance, which is really, really good. I think you'd like that, Daniel, because it's a lot more powerful than the album versions, like because it's a lot more raw and it's more in your face and stuff like that. Right. It's it's really, really good. I I think that, um, you know, Ronnie Montrose, if you're into that kind of raw rock and roll guitar playing, you definitely pick this up because I think you'll really enjoy it. Nice. That's a fantastic pick. Obviously, Kiss called a tour, Rock the Nation. They used to use their curtain call song, Rock the Nation. Um, and that pretty much says it all. Space Station number five. They've used Bad Motor Scooter. They've used Bad Motor Scooter as like the song they play over the PA right before they've come out, too, in the past. Yeah. Hmm. So a lot of good connections there. I'm actually happy that I was a Sammy Hagar fan before he joined Van Halen as well. That makes me feel a little bit less young sometimes. So, <laughs> All right, let, let's go on to another pick of um, a favorite album by mm-hmm. a favorite opening act. Daniel, mm-hmm. let's go with you next for your first pick. Well, this is uh, an album that I also discovered very late. Uh, you have to remember, for years I... Mostly listen to Kiss, not a whole lot of other bands. Uh, but later on, uh, I remember hearing a song from this album, and it absolutely floored me the first time I heard it. And it only took like five seconds. And I think it was a UFC event where a guy was walking out to the ring or the octagon, and he had this as his, uh, you know, walk-in music. And uh, it's such a cool riff. It's it's probably one of my top five songs of all time. I, I love this one. 
and was stranglehold by Ted Nugent. Mm. Uh, it's such a, an, I don't know what it is about it, but I just love it. So that's why I picked Ted Nugent's, I guess, first record. It's called, only called Ted Nugent, came out in 75. And um, of course, there are, there are a few other good songs, but this one really stands out. Uh, I, I never paid much attention to Ted Nugent because he seems like such a nutcase, you know? <laughs> I mean, standing with the Bible in one hand and a shotgun in the other and like preaching sobriety and killing all animals in sight. <laughs> it didn't seem like a guy you would want to listen a lot to. It seemed like it was kind of crazy. But um, I, uh, I was totally for and Still to this day, I listen a lot to that song. Uh, actually, uh, I, I uh, like a, a version from 2009 even better. And you have to mention the singer as well, uh, Saint. What's the name of the singer? Saint something. Derek Saint Holmes. Saint Holmes. Yeah, exactly. Such a great singer. And a lot of people don't know that he is the one singing the great songs on, on that album. Uh, he's a much better, better thing, singer than Ted, of course. Uh, and still to this day, he can bring it. Wasn't he on one of the cruises? He was, yeah. Whitford St. Holmes yeah. went out on yeah. the cruise. Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, mm-hmm, yeah. after Derek quit the Nugent band, he uh, I think he had a band called Valentine or something, and then paired up with uh, Brad Whitford, who had just quit Aerosmith. The two got together in, Aero- in uh, Nashville, knocked out you know songs like Sharpshooter, in like a week and recorded it and then went out and did some touring and, you know, ended up both ended up back in their own bands. So, um, you know, great music. And of course, storm, stormtrooper, stormtrooper is another great song. And there are a few feelers on this album, but, uh, uh, when you look at all the bands, uh, uh, that opened for kiss during this era, I mean, most of them, I haven't heard, even heard of, have you heard all those bands? Those opening acts. Have you listened to them? No. No. Some some of them. <laughs> some of them. I was going through that list. Most I was like, of them oh. were like, what the hell is that? I don't even know. I didn't think the list would be that long. But, uh, and and that was few. not e- that list was not even complete. But you know, just okay. going back to going back to this first Ted Nugent album. I mean, this really sets the stage. I, I don't remember when it came out. Um, I also had a Ted Nugent pick, but I went with the Amboy Dukes, you know, for mine because I liked some of what was the reason why he went solo. There was a lack of discipline, and their stuff was all over the place. I mean, they had almost psychedelic Sabbathy kind of instrumentals. They had, uh, you know. The, the straight ahead rockers that Ted would na- later do. And just like Ted Nugent, that stuff, some of the better stuff was sung by someone else other than Ted. And Ted was left to absolutely go mental on guitar. But when you look <laughs> at his, his first solo album that came out in 75, come on, Hey Baby, Motor City Madhouse, Just What the Doctor Ordered. I mean, the important thing with any band is to separate the people's politics from their art. Their politics and all that shit doesn't matter if you're digging their tunes. So that that for unless me they Ted, start singing about it, you know. 
Well, yeah, and Ted... It can Ted, trickle down into the music, and then it... Ted, like, it, ter- it certainly did later on, but back then, yeah. he was just a yeah. wild man on stage. So, you know, it's also important not to kind of get revisionist and start judging him by today for his back yeah. catalog in the 70s, because that catalog's just absolutely fantastic, starting with this solo album. So, uh, anyone else have thoughts on Ted Nugent or pick anything by Uncle Ted? I didn't pick anything by Ted. I didn't pick anything by Ted, but I do enjoy no. Ted. I do. I, you know, I saw him. The only times I see him, see him was on the farewell tour. I saw him twice on that. He was fun, and I like his music. I have, you know, I have a couple CDs. I like him. Be nice. Yeah, I mean, he'll no show up at your house. He'll he'll swing from your chandelier wearing a loincloth <laughs> and shoot yeah. flaming arrows into your walls. So better behave. Ready? Yeah. I mean, I, I stack them. I've I've seen. Like oh, I've heard the the classics, obviously, obviously Cat Scratch Fever and Wham Bam Sweet Poontang and all that stuff. But <laughs> you know, it's I never really got into his albums like properly. Um, I remember my sister had a couple of his records, and I always thought that they were kind of weird. Looked these like outrageous covers with him, you know, standing there with that loincloth that uh, you know Julian was just talking about there, and like who is this guy? You know, he just seemed really really odd so i never really got into his um music so so in detail but you know what i mean what kind of got me interested in it to one point and i'm sure that eventually i will sit down and start listening to some of the records a bit more in detail is that i never realized how huge a fan dimebag daryl was of ted nugent he loved ted nugent right i mean even threw in cat scratch fever a few times into a, a song or two of theirs on stage pantera when they played right so uh, he really loved it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. I was a huge Pantera guy back in the day, so yeah. I'm gonna check it out and see what the big deal is. I, I honestly know very little about Ted Nugent. Okay. Did you ever nice. see that? Uh, did you ever see that show with Ted Nugent and Sebastian Bach? <laughs> I have seen a few uh, clips. It was kind of it was kind of funny because those two are real characters. So I kind of like that show. Uh, <laughs> Ted Nugent being some sort of fatherly figure for Sebastian Bach. It was just a disaster. Mm. Well, it was a fun show. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mark, why don't you lead us into one of your picks? Okay, so one of the one pick I'm going to start off with is a band that now I really, really love a lot. I've loved them now for years and years. Um, Initially, my introduction to them was through my sister, as usual, but the song that she was playing on her turntable I completely hate it. I was like, oh, my God, what is this crud? And she's like, be quiet. The album's good. Da, da, da. And I was just I couldn't stand it when she was playing this band. And uh, but then I discovered that they had a back catalog of albums that I thought were really good. And I loved it. And this is what got me into them. But the song that I couldn't stand that made me want to puke on the floor was Babe. Babe, I believe in. I was like, oh, my God, what is this crap? And it was sticks. Right. But. This album, Equinox by Styx, is really, really, really good. Uh, I I love this album. It's got, you know, Sweet Madam Blue and Lorelei and, you know, Light Up and all kinds of great stuff on this album. And really, this is the one that kind of uh, got them uh, the recognition to start going on some pretty big tours you know, namely Kiss, right? Kiss took them out quite a few times, apparently, 
on their uh, tours. And uh, it's funny because when we were t- talking about doing this episode, I looked it up. And on the Sticks website, they have like a listing of older concert dates and stuff. And there's like a whole huge run of, oh, I don't know if you can see that. There we go. Of like Rush, Sticks, and Kiss playing together. Like a whole bunch of dates together of them playing in 75. And when I looked on some of the dates, I was wondering, like, you know, what were they promoting? Because they had like Man of Miracles was the record before this, and then they had a. Uh, Serpent Rising and then Sticks 2 and Sticks 1 before that. But they were touring this album at that time because when I looked at the set list, they were playing a lot of this off of this. The ironic thing though, they were already play- they were already playing Crystal Ball on this tour. And that was just like months away from their that was their next record after this. And Tommy Shaw had just cho- joined the band at that time. Right. But I I really 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 love Sticks. I mean I got about eight copies of this album. That's how much I love this record. Uh, and, you know, you know, you know how I am with collecting. I have to have the white promo label one. I got to have the, the colored vinyl ones and this and that. But I, I really think it's um, a good combination of still their progressive side of things. Because if you listen to Sticks 1 and Sticks 2, they are like, you know, Sticks 1 has a 13-minute opening song. You know, it was totally more in the progressive side of things then. And then they started, you know, dabbling with, more commercial stuff like Lady and stuff like that. And then as it became more popular that way, the commercial end of it started coming. And then, you, then we had like Grand Illusion with Come Sail Away and all that stuff later on in 77. And then, you know, how it went Paradise Theater. And then we had, you know, all those other records that came afterwards. But this to me was still the best combination of the hard rock and stuff still and a touch of prog in there here and there. Good pick. I mean, Come on, early sticks, early journey. I mean, it, these guys were two different bands in some ways between what mm-hmm. they became a lot better known for than what they started off as. And it's really fun to start with album number one, listen to them sequentially yeah. as they develop and change and you guys come into the bands. Um, all right, I'm going to do my first pick. And unless anyone would like to comment on sticks. Okay, don't worry about that. <laughs> Um, my first pick for this, uh, is going to be stars. And I think they only did two shows with kiss, but one of my fanboy moments in my podcasting career, that sounds absolutely inane, but there you go, was sitting at the Nashville rock and pod expo interviewing two of the members of stars, um, Joe Dubay and Brandon Harkin while Two guys from Angel sat behind me. But Stars, we've had Montrose and their debut album. When we talk about absolutely fantastic start-to-finish albums that are debuts, there are very few that come up on my radar um, as just being the complete package that really introduces you to a band that makes you listen from start to finish and never get bored of that album. Montrose is one. Motley Crue, Too Fast for Love is another. Kiss's debut is one, obviously, for me. Um, Tesla, Mechanical Resonance is one. And then we have Stars. They were managed by Bill Arcoin, so obviously another Kiss connection there. But their album came out in 1976, and it is just packed full of great, great freaking mid-70s rock and roll. A little bit similar in the vein to 
you know, to Montrose, high energy guitars. Uh, they had a guitar pair that worked very well together between the rhythm and the lead. But you had songs like Live Wire, Tear It Down, Monkey Business. Sorry, Sebastian, you're not the first one. Uh, Nightcrawler, Pull the Plug. This whole album is just from top to bottom one of the best slabs of rock and roll from a band that never really got their due. They improved. They had some great stuff on their second album, but it wasn't as consistent. Their third had a couple of songs that were really good, but the rest was kind of not quite there. And then they imploded and were gone. So again, one of those bands I strongly recommend you check out. They, they were, you know, they, they were kind of uh, skirting it close to the edge there with some of their lyrics but uh, anyone else into stars listen to the album or am I alone here? I think you're alone. I'm I've alone. Seen them. I, you're see, I've seen them. I saw them for Ace last year. They were really good. Yeah. So just fun rock and roll. So Lonnie, exactly. on that note, take us into your next pick. My next pick is by a fun band that I didn't get into until later either. And I'm embarrassed by it. And that is the sweet with, Desolation Boom. Mm. I love the sweet. I didn't get into them until I read um, The Heroin Diaries by Nikki Six. He talks a lot about the sweet in there. And I was like, "Eh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know. um, I know, um, you know, a couple songs by him, but I don't know. So I went out and I just bought, what, what do you do when you want to get into a band? You go out and you buy a greatest hits. So I started listening to it and I was like, these are really good songs. To have to buy. I, I really enjoy these. So I got even more into it. And there, there was a point, I don't know, for about six months, I guess, around 2007, 2008. That's all I listened to. I mean, I couldn't listen to anything else for that for a, for a long time. And like, like the girl I was dating at the time, she's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, no, this is great stuff. You don't even know. But I love how raw, I love how raw they are and just how punk they are. It's just really stripped down. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's, they're, 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 to me, they're the definition of just fun rock and roll. Just, you know, a lot of just meaningless songs, even, you know, that, that are just fun. But Desolation Boulevard is really great from, from top to bottom. And I I was looking at that list that Julian sent us. It doesn't look like the suite opened for Kiss very much. There was that show and there was a show in '79 on the Dynasty tour, and I didn't find much. I don't know if I saw anything beyond that, other than than maybe one show that they opened for them. But I love this record, Desolation Boulevard. It's fantastic with the 16s, with obviously Fox on the Run and the Man with the Golden Arm and Lady Starlight. Turn it down. It is solid gold brass. It's great from top to bottom. I love, love, love this week. Judging from your guys' reaction, it sounds like you guys do too. Mark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I got into them very late as well. So, uh, and how did I get into them? Well, Julian uh, introduced me to a guy who I'm really good friends with now, and you know, talked to on a very constant basis, and even working on some music with me now, uh, David Donnelly. And he's a huge sweet guy. And he was talking about Desolation uh, Boulevard to me a few times and was saying, you know, Mark, you should really check it out. You'd be surprised. He goes, most of the time, Sweet were kind of pen- pinned as this kind of bubblegummy kind of band, but they have a lot of really good 
songs on there that people don't even know about probably mm-hmm. on there so and I, I took his word for it because i respect his opinion musically so i went and checked it out and it's it's really good i i was i was surprised you know like some of the songs that i liked were probably the ones that are they're probably less known for i mean they did you know fox on the run and everyone knows that because of ace doing it and stuff like that but you know a lot of the other songs on there were you know were, were just as memorable to me and catchy as well right i mean that start lady starlight is cool and songs like that are, are really really good songs so um while i won't say that i'm a big knowledgeable person of the suite but you know i'm starting to pick up on their stuff and you know there's other records that they have too that i'm going to check out as well i have to check it out because over here uh, i've only actually listened to fox on the run but not even by the suite it was a huge hit here in sweden in the late 80s by a band called Shaboom, worst name ever. <laughs> uh, the yeah, guy, the, so. Shaboom had a run here in Sweden, and that was one of their hits, but their run ended when the guy sh- sh- posed for nude, the singer, he posed for nude pictures in the magazine OK, and that absolutely killed everything for them. Wow. So that was the end of Shaboom, and the last time I heard a, a song from the Swede, actually. So I have to check that out. Seems, seems like a good band. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting, though, too, that Lonnie brought up the fact that he heard about it in uh, the Heroin Diaries book there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I also, uh, that was also where I got my introduction to David Bowie's Diamond Dogs. Because I remember mm. in that book, he was mentioning that, you know, he had some kind of, you know, I, th- I don't know if he was coming off of the heroin or he wanted to get some. He was saying, I'm just going to lay in my bed here and listen to Diamond Dogs all night. And I was like, Diamond Dogs? Hey, so I went and checked that album out. And that was kind of my er- one of my earlier introductions to David Bowie. So it's interesting that that book's come up, too. That's funny. Yeah, and, and it's just amazing how people get into bands or discover bands. My first interaction with the suite came through Crocus, the Ballroom yeah. Blitz, which yeah. was massive yeah, yeah, yeah. on MTV. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's an awesome song. I love that. And then you discover they didn't write it and you start finding out more about the band. Obviously, having done Def Leppard books and been a fan, Def Leppard did a great version of Action. Um there's two kiss related songs in the um, sweet catalog love is like oxygen was done as a cover and I, I can't remember if it was bruce or eric played on it a few years ago and that is just a fabulously underrated song from later on in the sweets uh kind of original catalog and of course eric singer project set me free mm-hmm. There, I mean, those are just great songs, songs. Straight, straight off the top of my head. And I'm not, a, I'm not a deep into the suite to be able to even talk knowledgeably about them. But those are just four that you, I can basically pick off the top of my head to talk about. So that's a fantastic pick. Um, I'm going to do a pick. No, I'm not. I'm going to go to Daniel. Your next pick. Okay. Um, actually, if I, I would pick one of the, the bands... That I, the, the 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 band I like the most it would be Judas Priest I could actually pick quite a few records from them but uh, I'm going for the one that's called Killing Machine I think it's called mm. something else in America or it's there's it's also known as something else Hell Killing Bent Machine. for Leather yeah there you go that's that's correct yeah and you just have to look at the titles I mean I'm sure all of you have heard a lot from Judas Priest because they were kind of huge. Um, and again, the problem with these albums, the sound for me, I mean, first album I think I picked up by Priest was Painkiller, 
And I mean, that's, that's probably <clears throat> one of the albums that to me sounds the best from all the 90s, even though it came oh, out yeah. in 1990. That one and maybe the Black album and, and maybe one or two others. But but it sounds great. So when I went back and listened to these albums, uh, you know, there's a problem with the Sonics. Uh, but... Um, Judas Priest have made quite a few great live records, so you can find a lot of these songs on, on those albums. But if we look at this studio album, I think Delivering the Good still sounds great. Uh, Hellbent for Leather, of course, with the classic riff, Running Wild, and uh, one of the best covers, maybe, of all time, The Green Manalishi. Uh, yeah, I love that one. And then I heard the original. It was kind of similar to hearing... Uh, God gave rock and roll to you. You know, mm. the original isn't really as good as the the cover. Mm. But there's uh, some fillers on this album, but still it's a really great record and and, and the songs uh, seems fresh. I mean, they still do a lot of these songs in, in their sets and I understand why. So I think that album's a great album. It's impossible to listen to Delivering the Goods without me picking up the guitar and playing that riff <laughs> it's just you know it's, it's like this for me with so many judas priest albums and one of my favorite things to do is actually just to put british steel on and play from start to finish <clears throat> of the album and now i'm starting to do the same with um, screaming for vengeance but oh. you know these these classic albums evening star Mm -hmm. this album is incredible green man lee she was on the i think the american version not the the european or vice versa i, I always get them mixed up but this has my all-time favorite judas priest song on it hell bent for leather which when, when, when i started to we'll do a whole episode on judas priest because judas priest is my entry point into heavy metal i've told the story on the kiss show about when i was at a a, a lake lake property with friends in 1980 and one of the older brothers was playing this song and that song stayed in my head for years and i could never find out who it was by and then after i started getting into heavy metal and hard rock i found out that that was united by judas <clears throat> priest so right at the beginning of my journey is judas priest and that's that's a whole whole different episode so let's stay on priest because i know a couple of you guys also have picks by them i picked stained class uh, and for me, that is by far the most perfect Judas Priest album from start to finish. Every single song on that album is just everything that I love about Judas Priest, the guitars, the lyrics. Um, but I agree with Daniel that the sonics are sometimes a little bit lacking, which is why some of those songs are way better on Unleashed in the East when you get kind of the, the live version. But for me, Stained Class is the band's Powerage, um, you know, the, the best the best damn album in the catalog by far, regardless of what came later. Mm. There, there are some great albums. Mark, you have some priest in your pick. Oh yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Painkiller to me is by far the ultimate Judas Priest album, beginning to end. There's not a bad song on there. You can just drop the needle, let it play through. Amazing. Agreed. And sonically, it sounds incredible. I mean, when Scott Travis came on the drums, forget about it. That's that's when it was all over, and there was you never wanted to go and open before Judas Priest when that band was together. They were incredible, okay, in that lineup. Um, I understand what Daniel's talking about because the one thing about the older Priest records that I hated was that god awful. Kung, 
gunk snare drum that they had. It just sounded like crap. And it just seemed like the producers back in the day always went up to Glenn Tipton and KK Zamson goes, maybe just turn the distortion down a little bit more. And it's like, no, don't do that. It, that's why they sounded so thin, their albums, you know. But again, my one of my favorite records, and to me, it's close to Painkiller in how much I like it. But sonically, it's nowhere near as good. But they have so many amazing songs on this is Sad Wings of Destiny. Right? I mean, that to me is incredible. I mean, you have, you know, you have the Victim of Changes, The Ripper, you know, I mean, just that of those two alone. I mean, Julian talks about, you know, grabbing your guitar and playing. I mean, when you hear like that intro, for Victim of Changes, you just want to go and grab your guitar and just jam along with it, you know? I mean, you have Tyrant and Genocide and Island of Damnation. It's so good. And this is probably one of my favorite let's just take this out one of my favorite album covers that that they ever did too i mean it's so cool that that album cover you know i mean again to me and i'll and i'll have to agree with uh this is the canadian pressing so it might be a different back piece than yours but uh uh the one thing about uh priest that they always had trouble with obviously was the sonics but their songs were always so good that that's why people like Julian would could say like you know that you know the staying class is incredible. Same with you know Defenders of the Fate. You know, that's a great album, but again they suffered from that kind of electronic drum syndrome on that album, right? Same with Turbo, right? They suffered from over chorused guitars and stuff like that on there, right? So, but but you know it's it's all taste too, right? I mean for me, when I think Judas Priest, I think Painkiller, not you know the drum thing at the very beginning and that. That riff on there is just so incredible. Painkiller, Judas Priest, that's where it's at. All right, Lonnie, wrap no, it I'm down. With, I'm with Julian on this one. It's staying class all the way. The, <laughs> and usually I give you guys trouble for agreeing with Julian on everything, but it's me this time that agrees with Julian. <laughs> because I think I think Rob's vocals on this are so spot on and so incredible, even though – even that not that they're not on other records, but I think this one, they're – they're over the top and, and great. And and Glenn and KK's guitars, the way they're so distinguished that you, between the two of them throughout the whole record, I think is on a different level on this album too than the other ones. For me, it's this album, hands down. And I can't wait to do a whole Judas Priest episode with you guys. It sounds like it's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it yeah. sounds like there'll be a lot of debate throughout. Yeah. No, I, I also picked... I also picked Staying Class. I actually there you two, go. Two, two, two <laughs> albums from Judas Priest. But 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 I I think there are a few kind of weak songs. Do you really like that one? White heat, red hot. Is yes, that a great song? I do. That's a great Absolutely. song. Absolutely. Because when you, go, when you go when you go when you when you go from <laughs> when you go from yes. Exciter into that, and oh. then you go into Better by You, Better than Me, oh. fantastic oh. cover. Yes, you know, just like works. they did with with Green Man Leashy. That whole freaking side into Stained Class. Oh my God! Title track is probably yeah, but my, my favorite. Beyond the realms of death, savage. I mean, there are quite a few great. As a, I mean, top songs, ten out of ten songs yeah. on that album. And you got to admit, it's nowhere near painkiller. Yeah, That's and then you got to you got to admit though that Stain Class though like has Exciter, which has possibly Rob Halford's highest sung note there. One of them, yeah. that Exciter at the very end of that song, you know that. It's like holy, and, and also the the like, intro screen to burst. Savage. The intro screen to Savage is kind of 
yeah. up there as well. So, but it also has one of my favorite songs on there too, "Saints in Hell." I really love that song on there. That's mm-hmm. a great song. That's a good song. Yeah, it's a great record. So, such a great album. I mean, yeah. I, I wish I had the guts still to start trying to learn this one on the guitar. British Steel's easier. Killing Machine is a little easier. This one is tough. There's a lot of difficult guitar playing, and the interplay between KK and Glenn was really firmly Fantastic. established on this one. I love Sad Wings, but there's filler on there that's more obvious and apparent. Yeah, the great artwork does kind of make up for it, but then again, I'm also a guy who loves the first album and Run of the Mill. I still think it's one of the, the best Priest songs in the catalog. So that's the fun about Judas Priest. I can't sing along to Priest either, which is really <laughs> no re- really nice for my neighbors because I am not a vocalist. It's bad enough tra- me playing guitar, even though I can play this stuff pretty much uh, exactly. And I'm just talking the rhythm parts. I'm not playing that fucking lead stuff. Uh, oh, no. No, no way. Right. I actually think uh, Tim Ripper Owens did a real good job when he entered the band. I kind of liked those albums as yeah, well. Yeah, I liked Jugulator. Jugulator yeah. was good. Not a yeah. fan of. I saw them. I saw them live with with Ripper. He was a bit stiff yeah. on stage, but uh, he sang you know, perfectly. Was really good live. No. Looked right. like an old man. I, I'm gonna. You, you know, all of us had Judas Priest, maybe one or two albums. Um, I'm going to go in and take us down a notch. And uh, one of my picks on this, in the 80s, after I got into metal big time, I started going backwards and discovering guitar artists from the 70s. And there were two who I discovered that I really started to love. One was Gary Moore and the other was Roy Gallagher. And my pick from this is uh, an artist, obviously, who Kiss opened for in 1974 and then who opened for Kiss during the Alive tour. So Roy Gallagher's Irish Tour 74. It's a bit of a cop-out to go with a live album or a compilation in some ways, but with Rory, it was critically important for him to perform his stuff for people. If you go onto YouTube and check out his live videos, you get to see a fucking Anglo bluesman just playing the hell out of a guitar and singing the hell out of the mic and just uh, walk on coals. You know, there is so much on this album that is just so perfectly set in the 1970s. And it's such a shame that he's gone, you know, that, that he was, he was lost young a bit like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who was the next generation of that type of player. You know, there's a bit of, you know, Richie Blackmore in there as well, yeah, who came from a similar sort of school. It, it's it's a very, it's not metal, It's but it's definitely hard rock. It's not blues. It's something more. It's something where you take the elements, but you also get a culture coming through. This is a guy who would actually play in Ireland during the Troubles. So when you go back and start looking at his history and what he was playing and you know, he'd change up his band, he'd go into the studio and knock out an album, but that stuff doesn't, that stuff on the studio album sounds like shit until he gets in front of an audience. And then it really takes on a life. And that really is for me what it's about that you get an artist who writes great stuff, but until he's performing it and recording it live, it doesn't come anywhere near having the life that a song should have. And that, to me, is what music is about. It's about the performance. It's why any opportunity I get to get up on stage with a guitar, as bad as I am, as 
much as I'm still learning and practicing and trying to be a better player, um, it's about playing the music. It's about mm -hmm. playing the music in front of people, not just creating it in a studio. So Roy Gallagher, you know, fucking check him out. Go back and, you know, check out Gary Moore. Go out and listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan. These guys are, were just fucking players before Joe Bonamassa took up the mantle for the next generation. Mm -hmm. So a lot, yeah. of, a lot of great playing. Mark, I'm going to go straight to you as a guitarist and someone who's, who I hope is, you know, a, a bit more versed to be able to, to talk about that. What, what are your thoughts on Rory? Well, I mean, the, the funny thing is that I'm familiar with Rory Galler, but mainly because of the pe other people talking about him. Like mainly because I remember that story that Paul Stanley saying that you know he got pissed off when they were booing him when they were opening for Kiss during the live tour, and he wanted to, he had he said that he was almost tempted to go back out there and say, "Hey guys, you're booing a guy who made me want to play guitar." You know what I mean? Like he got so pissed off about it, but you know, and also I remember Vivian Campbell saying that Rory was such a huge influence on him to play guitar, and you know it's. He he has he has that presence about him. He has that style that people pick up on. And I'm not very familiar with his catalog, I'll be honest. So I'm not going to try to come across like I know a lot about his stuff. But he definitely has huge impact on players. I mean, like I said, just from the people who talk about him, you can tell that he was a big influence on a lot of people. And I, I was just looking at his catalog and talking about the influence he could have on other bands. I wonder... If his second album, which is called Oops. Deuce, might have had an impact on Gene, you know, for writing that song, you know, because, I mean, he probably heard that record and, you know, maybe it maybe it went up here and he used it for his own material. But, you know, I I, I would like to look into it more. And I, I think I'm going to take up your challenge, Julian, and start listening to some of his stuff online and get myself more familiar with it. Yeah, do start with album number one and just work your way through his catalog sequentially because you'll go studio, studio, live, and you'll be like, whoa, because he had live mm -hmm. in Europe 72, and then mm -hmm. he put out Tattooed, or Tattoo, and, um, you know, then he did, of course, the Irish Tour 74. So, and then yeah. you go through, look at him performing in, you know, later on in his career. There's a, I think it's Berlin, is a fantastic video just to watch him. You don't have to know these songs to be able to enjoy them. That's the whole thing with yeah. it. You can put on a video of a Gary Moore or Rory, and, you know, Viv obviously quotes him as being one of his major influences and yeah. i'd love to see viv get back to playing that style forget viv and dio that you know that that was young <clears throat> viv i want to see viv playing like a rory again not being a sideman on stage with leopard i want to see him being that irish guitarist with those blues in him and actually <laughs> bring that fucking neck of a strat you know anyone else got any comments on rory before we move on to another pick we're getting a lot of homework. Yeah, we, we we don't do homework That's, here, but I, no, I, 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 I don't, no, I don't mean yeah. like that. I mean I, I'm kind of yeah. interested. Yeah, I'll, I'll do here. the homework. Uh, willingly happiness and, and that's the reason for Lovely. the show. It, it's for us to share things that mean something yeah. to us musically, and hopefully have friends go and listen or to people who are just tuning in to say who the fuck are they talking about i'm going to check them out on spotify or itunes you know just yeah. listen to a sample Dis know. discover yeah. something new i mean it comes back to a little thing like that uh, experiment i did last year working through the bruce springsteen catalog yeah mm -hmm. I'm, I'm girding my loins for billy joel this year so that, that's my <laughs> next one <laughs> wow. all right who's up for a next pick 
Lonnie, you, you've been quiet for a bit. Give us one. Okay. Um, I went with one of my favorite bands opening for Kiss, and that is ACDC. Um, that's tough. So I went high with voltage. high. I went with high voltage just because yeah. it's high voltage, and it's so great from start to finish. ACDC is just so raw and so powerful. And High Voltage is one of my favorite albums of all time, not just by ACDC, but just one of my favorite albums ever. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've seen ACDC, you know, a bunch of a handful of times, too. They're so great live. And I just it's good, good music. And you're just in the house doing nothing. Or if you're driving too, it's, it's good driving music, too. So but um, High voltage is, is great from start to finish. Just like the other, just like almost all the other of them we've talked about today. I mean, from it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, all the way to high voltage from front to back. It is great, and there's so many great tracks in between between Live Wire and the Jack and TNT. I mean, come on, can I sit next to you? That's a fun song too. There, it's ACDC's greatness, and it's you're talking about playing guitar. ACDC is really fun to play on, on the guitar because I can halfway do it. That makes it a lot more fun if I can halfway play them on the guitar. So, yeah. Um, I, and I love, I love the Bond era too. I love Bond's voice. Not that I don't like Brian Johnson, but the Bond era to me is is classic ACDC. It's, it's what about it's what the about Axl D? Well, there, I never got the opportunity to see it. And uh. when when ACDC toured a few years ago, St. Louis was one of the last shows. They only did maybe two shows past that with brian so like i was just on the cusp that missed it so when they came back and did like the makeup for the rest of those dates um i didn't get a chance to see the, the axle dc although i wish i could have because yeah. but from what i've seen on what i've seen on youtube and the bootlegs that i have it's i love it i think it's i think it, i think it fits it well julian done a great but tough no actually i do i i, I, do. I, <laughs> I think axel did a fantastic he job did. and hey, he brought I out a lot of rare tracks it's like kiss yeah. you know who often get stuck in their ways on the stuff that they perform he actually yeah. as a fan got them to play some of the songs that he loved that the fans then shit themselves that they were actually getting to hear and, and ACDC is one of those bands like like Kiss that's very bad about that. Well, they play the same stuff tour after tour after tour, and if they have a new album, they might throw in one of those songs, but they keep the rest of those core songs. So when Axel came out, he did touch too much and, and things like that with them, which were great to hear. So, but mm-hmm. but my point with with high voltage of high voltage is great, but I w- I really wish I would have gotten a chance to see to see Axel play with them because I love Axel. And and you were obviously <laughs> talking about the international version, not the Australian one. Uh, who else had ACDC? I have the same album. I think it's just a great album. And it was one of my first CDs. I remember getting it. I asked the, 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 one, the person working there, do you have any music that sounds like Kiss? And she handed me ACDC High Voltage. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it, was, it was a great album. And... Uh, I have to agree with everything that Lona said. Just the fact that, that it's such a solid album. There's, <clears throat> to me, there's no filler on this one. I mean, TNT, Livewire, <laughs> The Jack. It's a long way. I mean, it's all so classic. Good. And I, I don't think anyone can say that this is a bad album. Uh, from all of the albums we've talked about, I would actually put this one at the top. Yeah. I might do the same, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I... I, I... I love ACDC too. I mean, I love both eras. I'm still kind of more on the Bon Scott side of things, and uh, you know, I, I I love High Voltage too. I really I really do. But uh, the one record that I picked 
actually is Dirty Deeds. Ah, that's, that's my other one. That's my other one. That's the one record I thought I really loved. And I, I mean, the very first time I heard that song, I was like, this is a really cool fucking song. You know, I was like, this is really good. And I mean, there's like even Big Balls is like a great song and so, songs like that. Like, I mean, it, ACDC made it cool again to just own a Marshall amp and a guitar, no pedals, no nothing, and just turn the amp up to 10. And plug that's in it. and play. Yeah. 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 Because back in the, back in the 80s and 90s, there was this huge run of people who had like these huge refrigerator racks of processors and all this stuff. And like Steve Vai had all these ultra harmonizers and all this stuff. And it's like, holy shit, like the, he needed all this stuff. And sometimes the guitar doesn't even sound like a guitar anymore. We lost it sounds like so oh, it is coming out. Oh, sorry. Did I get lost there? Yeah, continue. Wi-Fi strikes again. Continue. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say like then then you had uh, Angus who just came comes in, plugs in the amp, no fuss, no muss, and that's it. You know, and and that's what I love about Angus Young. You know, he he doesn't need any of these rack stuff. I mean, one of the greatest stories I ever heard is when White Lion was touring with ACDC. They got an endorsement deal for '88, a pre preamp system, right? And they gave it to AC. They gave it to Angus Young. And he looked at it and said, well, I don't want this crap. He goes, I am happy with my marshals and that's it. So he gave it to shaping his whole sound. <clears throat> so yeah, it was, it's a, it's, it's great. I think, I think the marshal is the way to go. And I think that they keep it simple, but everybody loves it. What's he played? He plays at SG, doesn't he? Yeah. I guess generally. Because he, he also doesn't use It's all in the hand and the wrist. Yeah. Everything, everything he does as a guitarist. But, you know, the backbone of ACDC sound was, of course, the boss, Malcolm. The, mm-hmm. That fucking rhythm, sock stuffed in the uh, in the neck or in the, <laughs> the cavity, the pickup cavity. I mean, holy fucking shit. What that band did, you know, with a very minimal of processing effects, just rock and roll. And, mm-hmm. you know, talking about Dirty Deeds, I again, I only have the Australian versions of these albums. That's all I listen to. So, really? you know, yeah, it, it's just because it, it's catalog. It's canon. It's sequential. I know that they changed everything up and put some move songs around for um, High Voltage in 76. And then, of course, Dirty Deeds came out uh, in the U.S. much later in the early 80s to cash in on mm-hmm. uh you know, I think, uh, what was it, uh, for those about to rock in, in that era. So when I went back and started listening to it, I always went by the Australian releases just because that was how it came out. So you had an album like High Voltage had the only ballad the band ever fucking did, Love Song, which mm. I really love as well. So ACDC, great fucking band. I'm going to do one more pick and then we'll maybe have to do a part two of this at some point and because this is the bands that opened for kiss i really want to make sure that we mention slade without slade we probably would not have kiss they've been cited by the band as one of those really important influences to them everyone knows slade whether you got into slade because of quiet riot who really made a career out of covering the band and he did it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but they sure picked some good ones. And the album I'm going to pick is 
Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue. And that was really a little bit towards the end of their hits career. Because all that stuff, which I just mentioned, had been done by then. And I was really conflicted. I wanted to choose The Flame because of one song. But I had to look at the full package and say, no, this album is, again, solid from start to finish. If you're not familiar with it, go and play it. Because it's more than My Friend Stan, which had been the single that came out towards the end of the year before and was included on the album. You've got stuff like We're Really Gonna Raise the Roof. You've got When the Lights Are Out. You've got Don't Blame Me. There is just so much good stuff on this album where Slade was trying to be a little bit more than just a shouty bar band. They were they had piano stuff, um, and Every Day obviously was a really big. Um, I think it may have been one of their last number ones, but Slade is as important, if not more, than the Sweet when it comes to glam, and in terms of influencing Kiss, those short, catchy songs that really you know people can just bop their head to forget about the moment and just enjoy rock and roll while naughty screams his fucking head off and the guitars and the backbeat just perfection any love for slade i had a, a band member from england in in one of my bands at one point and they always talk about slade and wanted us to play them but we didn't <laughs> yeah I, I'm familiar sort of with them, uh, mainly from just stuff that I've been listening to from other podcasts. I mean, uh, the, the Shabby Road Record Show. I know Ryan on there. Uh, he's he's all he's all about uh, Slade, and so is Ad Adams, the guy who does uh, the show with them. They 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 love Slade. And I, I went out and I bought one of the records. I believe it's. Uh, I think it might have been the one that you mentioned there, uh, Slade. I think I, I got that one, and uh, you know it's 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 not bad, but I'm, I'll have to be honest, it hasn't hooked me as much as some of you guys how they how you talk about it. Um, maybe didn't they have a, a did they have a good live album, Slade? Slade alive. Possible. Yeah, Possible. I think I've heard that one. Slade alive. Yeah, but I mean, I I I don't know I don't know very much about them at all, but uh-huh. you know. Again, and I only I only heard about this Christmas single because I listened to that uh, podcast, the Six Pack that Julian did when he talked about it. Yeah, that was it. one of my picks. You know, yeah. just like listening to Six Pack or Rush, and you know, your your first pick was what Anthem. Anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I'm going to have to let you have a, another pick, aren't I? That's okay. You're going to know what my pick is, anyways, for for it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th- that's that's as far as my Slade knowledge is very little. Yeah, the thing with Slade th- that, that I tell anyone, and this goes for you, Lonnie, mm-hmm. if you want to discover more Slade, is mm-hmm. don't go for the singles. You have to start on the albums and go track by track, because when you just look at the greatest hits, you get Goodbye to Jane, uh, <clears throat> Look What You've Done, you know, Squeeze Me, Please Me. You know, Don't ever go buy what are on the greatest hits you got to listen to the full albums and what they were doing as a whole this goes for any band and this is just the way i approach music there is no right way wrong way um but mark i do want to get your last pick as well because at a time where you know rock and roll's lost another great great fucking musician we we can't end without having take it away well as we all know rush toured with kiss uh, and they became great buddies. Uh, 
you know, the, those great stories that came out about the bag, which was Alex Lifeson's character that he created with the garbage bag with the face on it, who did the his little stand-up comedy bits there, uh, which were apparently very offensive, uh, apparently. But, you know, Canadians, how offensive really can it be? Come on. I mean, we're a bunch of gr- good people here, you know. But, you know, uh, he... He apparently had those guys in stitches, and there's all kinds of fantastic photos of them doing uh, things together, good and bad, on tour. But that record I just held up, which, again, if you didn't see it, was Fly By Night. Um, I went on record several times to say that this record, to me, is my favorite Rush album. People always are in shock when I say that. They're like, what? The, The first album with Neil and really the second overall in their catalog is your favorite? I go, yeah, because to me... This is an album that has a band that was young, on fire, and wanted to conquer the world. They never had that energy after this record because they started conquering, you know? The next record that they did, yeah, didn't do that great, but they still had that fire and wanted to continue to need it 2112, and then all of a sudden, the rocket took off. But the desperation was not the same as it was on this record. I mean, listen to Neil Peart's drumming on that. It was like Keith Moon, you know, on fire, on this record, like his fills are all over the place and explosive and stuff like that. And it's just, it's such a great combination of hard rock music and the early roots of their progressive stuff, like by turn the snow dog, you know, 10 minute Epic on there. What a great song, you know? And like I said before, if you want to hear Neil at his youngest and most bombastic, listen to that. If you want to hear more technical stuff, listen to their, you know, later records, like farewell to Kings or hemispheres or stuff like that. But, you know, what a great album. And I could only imagine what it was like to go on tour and see that, you know, like first you had Sticks on, then Rush, and then Kiss. Could you imagine? Those are the kind of dream concerts I was thinking about, you know? Yeah, and I think if we ever do an episode on some of the best opening tracks on any albums, Anthem's got to be on there. Um, mm-hmm. For for me, Biter and the Snow Dog is one of the very, very best Rush tracks in the catalog, but also stuff like In the End. Uh, mm-hmm. Impossible mm-hmm. not to kind of adore that and just where they went. And this was Neil's first album. Uh, he took over as lyricist. It was tough for me because there's so much on the first album that I do love, but it's a completely mm-hmm. different creature. Uh, again, different different kind of outlook, different um, you know musicianship as well. This was just, and uh, again, you also mentioned Caress and the Necromancer mm-hmm. is again, mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorites. So Lonnie Rush, I love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, heard a lot of Rush growing up. And I, I um, never really bought an album until I like I was 16 or 17 because I heard them a, a lot on the radio. Casey Classic Rock Station in town again played a lot of them and still do to this day. Um, always popular here, um, but I no, they're fantastic and I, I know and I know they're really near and dear to Mark. So, um, but I, I I can't say anything negative about them. I love them. Daniel, how about you? And and well, you know, Rush was no, yeah, it, it, Rush wasn't that big where I'm from. Uh, actually, no one of my friends listened to Rush, and I didn't either. Sorry, <laughs> uh, but I remember in the eighties, you know, reading the music magazines, and I t- took one look at Geddy Lee, and I thought, man, I'm going with Paul <laughs> Stanley. <laughs> 
So I never really got into r- Rush. Sorry, Mark. That's okay. It's not for everybody, that's for sure. There we go. And we don't have to agree on everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's going to be it. Let's leave it there. Um, that, that's plenty of picks of albums that maybe you're going to be interested to go listen to on Spotify, even if they kick off our favorite podcast off their platform. Probably will have kicked us off by the end of this episode, but there you go. Um, you know, so tune in again. We're going to do a whole bunch of these episodes. Sometimes they'll have kiss connections. Sometimes they're going to be because Ken says Blackfoot. I want you to put together a list of your favorite Blackfoot songs. Sometimes it's mm. going to be Mark making us go in and dig into some albums. Or maybe I'll say Aerosmith, Done With Mirrors. We're just going to talk about that album and a bit of Aerosmith. The the whole thing cool. is we, we want to talk about stuff other than just Kiss. A lot of it has Kiss connections. Again, Kiss has brought all of us together. Anyone who's going to be on this show will probably come into it because of a Kiss connection with one or more of us. And uh, again, all of the guys who've been part of the Kiss FAQ podcast are going to be on it. So we look forward to doing a lot more episodes, talking about a lot more episodes or a lot more artists. Merciful Fate and King Diamond. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. L- lots of cool shit. So it's just an opportunity again for us to talk about more, more, more. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Take care for now. Bye.